Howdy, folks, and welcome to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb. This is the program every week where we come at you to look at issues, organization, and events, but specifically through the lens of the Green Party's commitment to peace, justice, democracy, and ecology. On this program, we'll be speaking with Erin Camacho. Erin is an indigenous woman who is running for Wisconsin State Senate, District 31 in Wisconsin. That's in basically mid uh, Wisconsin, right on the western border uh, with Minnesota. Erin Camacho, welcome to A Green Way Forward. Bonjour. Thank you for having me. So, Aaron, I got a chance to get to know you a little bit at a recent Green Party meeting, uh, and I came to know you really less as a candidate and more as somebody who's been fighting for environmental issues and social justice issues uh, for quite some time. In fact, you join us literally just rushing in from an action at the state capitol. Tell us a little bit about that. So um, first and foremost, I just want to thank you for having me on your show. Um, and I would just like to acknowledge that I'm joining you from Indigenous land here in Wisconsin. And that uh, rally that I just came from, the action was in Madison, Wisconsin. And so we were at the Capitol. We started out at the federal court building. And it's basically to ensure that our citizens are aware, right, about this trial of the century, the youth versus our government and the youth's efforts to ensure that we have a sustainable and protected environment for futures to come. Because we do have our constitution. It does afford us our rights, those rights being um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And these children are correct. Our government has acted in opposition of their best interests in, in light of um documentation and proof since the 70s that investing and supporting the fossil fuel industry is to our detriment as citizens. So I'm grateful to have been uh, made aware of the event so I could join and lend my voice to the protection of not only our future generations, but our, our democracy as it is. Wonderful. So you're talking, of course, about the lawsuit that uh young people are bringing against the federal government uh, because of the government's investment in fossil fuels and failure to halt the climate crisis. Right. And as you know, I'm sure most of you know, uh, the Supreme Court chose not to hear the, the children's case after all. And so the whole point of this rally is to stand in solidarity with them and to make sure that the youth's voices are heard. Folks, you're watching A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb. We are speaking with Erin Camacho, who is running for Wisconsin State Senate in District 31. Uh, Erin, uh, I'm curious always to find out about you, the person, you, the human being. So tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, and why it is that you chose to run for State Senate as a Green Party member. So, Yagi Naganan, Indejinakas Kiwankwe. So all my relations, hello. My name is Erin E. Camacho, and I am a citizen of the Prairie Band Potawatomi Nation. I'm a daughter of Wisconsin, and I'm the only non-establishment female and minority candidate running in my Senate district this fall. I'm also a graduate of the Wisconsin public school system and a recent graduate of Winona State University. So I do have my bachelor's degree in legal studies and I'm, I'm going to continue on that path. But right now I have the time and the agency to run for office as well as the will. So 
that's why I have chosen to put my name on the ballot and, and work towards gaining ballot access throughout the summer by gathering signatures going door to door. But as you said, you want to know more about me as a person, right? And uh, I appreciate that. Um, uh, as a person, not just in my campaign, but daily life, I value mutual respect and understanding. And that is essential in everything that we do. Because if we can't come to each other with just that basic mutual respect and willingness to understand, we're not going to get very far. And so starting with that basic candor is really important to me. And so continuing that into the campaign, as well as continuing my work as a water protector, right? I'm a water protector. Um, and I, because of that, I understand my responsibility not only to be an advocate for my community, but also the environment for generations to come. Um, as such, I also recognize my responsibility to run for office. Um, it is a responsibility, right? It's not just an honor, but a responsibility to challenge that political duopoly that is perpetuating that binary discourse um, within our political environment. And we deserve more than a political, or sorry, a binary conversation, right? We're more than either or, one or the other as human beings. We're very complex, and our, our politics should reflect that. And I have to say on November 6th, um, as a human being uh, and within my work prior to the election, that we have to gather our courage, even if it's going to the state capitol like today, to raise your voice and stand for something that's bigger than ourselves. We are witnessing, as I mentioned, this duopoly. We're witnessing us do a sin and, and we're standing, standing idly by almost as, as a United States, as the state of Wisconsin, watching this binary discourse rip us apart from the center. And we must do something about that. So I'm curious, Aaron, why, how long have you been a Green Party member and why did you decide to, to make the Green Party your electoral political home? Well, you know, I'm 33 years old, so I haven't had that many um, years of voting under my belt compared to others. However, the reason why I chose green is because growing up, I was able to bear witness to an Indigenous woman run for vice president under the Green Party ticket, and that would be Ms. Winona LaDuke. And for me, that opened up a whole spectrum of possibilities for my future that I had not considered previously. And then when I saw the organization that she was standing with and that was supporting her, I saw the platform and how that platform not just um, stood as it was then, but also evolved into what it is today. And the reason why I chose green is because I'm seeking out equitable outcomes. And so when you look at the platforms of the parties right now that have ballot access, the, the parties that are, are active in their communities, the green party platform, whether that be at the national level or or the state level, most aligns with my personal values as a human being. And for me to be able to see this connection between the party I support, the party that supports me, as well as um, the needs within daily life is essential. And that's a connection that I do not see in the dominant parties that has been monopolizing the, the public eye for quite some time. So uh, thank you, Aaron. I do want to ask if we can shift a little bit to some some of the policy proposals uh, that you're running on. And for folks who may want to go to the website, please share 
uh, both the website, your Twitter account, and, and your Facebook information so folks can follow up with you. So my website is Erin E. Camacho for WisconsinSenate.com. And uh, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook as well. Just type in Erin E. Camacho for Wisconsin State Senate, District 31. I'll be the first thing to pop up. If you follow me, also share what I'm posting so people can see, right? As Green Party members, as candidates, we often um, are challenged by the obstacles that are presented to be a part of that uh, mainstream discourse. And if we utilize our voice, right, the power in our digital pen, we can make sure that our narrative is heard and heard in an equitable way. And again, that is important reaching those equitable outcomes and making sure that the message is carried forward in a just way is as important as simply sharing. Well, thanks for sharing that. So uh, can you tell us, let's drill down into your platform. Uh, What are the, say the, the top three or five issues that you're running on? So I'm going to push back on you a little bit there. Um, our lives are too complex to narrow down our main issues into three or five topics. Our lives are much more complex and the issues we face are intersectional. So I have it narrowed down to about eight, eight essential areas that we need to address, not only in our district 31, but in the entire state of Wisconsin. And I'll list them alphabetically so we can try and keep it all straight. We have got our access to government. And that includes automatic voter registration needing to be implemented, ranked choice voting, and um, nonpartisan redistricting of our of our voting districts, our voting lines, right? So our access to government needs to be addressed here. American Indian rights need to be addressed. That goes without saying as they're codified within our Constitution, Article 6, Section 2. So American Indian rights. And then further from that, we have our education our education is our foundation and what feeds the future minds of our of our society. We also have our environment. Our environment is second to none. Nothing in our lives will function as we need it without a healthy, sustainable environment. Then we also have to look at our health care. Health care is a human right. Nobody should be trying to decide between their prescription that they need to live and their meals for the week. It's just not right when we live in the richest country in the world, right? The leader of the free world. So our reality within healthcare needs to change and we need to make sure that it's accessible, is equitable, and again, viewed as a human right within our country. Then we also have a livable wage. And as we know, the $7.25 minimum wage, that's a federal standard across our country, is not enough. And unfortunately, companies, especially small businesses, often are times are in situations that do not allow for them to offer much more than a $9 wage. In Wisconsin, you'll see recent studies that say for a family of four, including two dependents, right, amongst that four, you need to make at least $16.10 an hour to stay above the poverty line. And our minimum wage is $7.25. So again, a livable wage is a necessity. But not just that, right? It's closing that wage gap. We have a gender wage gap that is outrageous in Wisconsin. If you're a white woman, you're making 20 to 30 cents less than your male counterpart. If you're an Asian woman, you're making less than that. A black woman, even less than that. A Latinx woman, even less than that. And then the uh, Native American women, the indigenous women are statistically at the bottom of that list. 
if the women are, are the backbone of our communities across Turtle Island, how can we be selling them short like this continually? It's just not right. We're human beings and we deserve to be valued as much as our um, counterparts that exhibit uh, a different phenotype within their gender. And so when we move beyond livable wage, we also have to look at our infrastructure. I might have gone a little bit out of alphabetical order there, but our infrastructure is essential here in District 31. We have a mixture of rural and urban communities so that uh, we have to understand that our budgets that are allocated need to reflect the needs of the community. Our local communities are very much restricted with levies that are imposed on them. So when we have bridges that go out here in Buffalo County or Trempeleau County, oftentimes the town boards are saying, I'd love to fix this for you, but our hands are tied. There's funds, but no available funds. So again, we need to address our infrastructure, but infrastructure is beyond roads. We also have to consider our broadband access, right? That's one of the reasons why I had to drive to town to be able to communicate with you all with the Green Party is because I don't have broadband access, high-speed internet or anything like that at my house. And so our rural communities need to be brought along as we move forward um, as our technology evolves. Part of infrastructure, too, is ensuring that our communities of varying abilities are not left out of the loop. So public transportation is a part of that as well. Then, lastly, we've got our Wisconsin family farms. If you know anything about Wisconsin, you know agriculture is a humongous part of our economy and a, and a part of our culture. Every year we're losing 500 farms at least. 500 farms at least every single year for the past three to four years. We can't afford that with big agriculture moving in and high-capacity well permits being applied for and Enbridge knocking on our door, along with Polymet and the Back 40 Mine Aquila uh, resources. So when we really think about this, saving our family farms is also going to save our environment because farmers also know how important water quality and sustainable practices with our earth, um, they, they understand how important that is. So those are my eight areas of focus. Thank you. Folks, you're watching A Green Way Forward or listening to the podcast, A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb. We're speaking with Aaron Camacho, running for state Senate in the state of Wisconsin, District 31. Um, if you have any comments or questions and you're watching on Facebook, please do write in. Executive producer Michael O'Neill will harvest questions or comments, and we'll try to get uh, Aaron to respond. Aaron, Eric writes in to say, so if you ever run for president, always visit Wisconsin. Just <laughs> saying. Any comments? Well, you know, Wisconsin has been a leader uh, with a lot of things in our nation. So Wisconsin is an important place to visit. I would encourage anybody running for office to get to all 50 states, though, because every one of our states are just as important as another. But in Wisconsin, you'll see that we've had some impacts on our national society um, since the 1970s. You know, we've led in education. We've led in infrastructure in the past, maybe not so much as in today. But we've also had a strong legacy in environmental protection. And thanks to then-Senator uh, Nelson turned Governor Nelson, he led the way for Earth Day to take a hold across the globe. So, yes, visiting Wisconsin is very much important considering the impact that we have on our communities and the caliber of leaders that we bring to the table at a, at a national level. But, again, we're not the only ones who need to be visited because – 
we're all in this together. Uh, Aaron, tell us a little bit about the kind of campaign you're running. What is your strategy around voter identification? Uh, do you have any particular plans for get out the vote? Uh, it's very difficult to run as an alternative political party in this two-party duopoly. Uh, so how are you, what, what can we as Green Party activists learn from you and your campaign? Where there's a will, there's a way. So prior to May, I was told you probably won't get ballot access. Well, we knocked on the doors. We put on our shoes. We hit the sidewalks. <laughs> and we didn't take no for an answer, right? Because we know a different future is possible. We know we can move forward in a greener way. It's just, do we have the will to do it? And so what I would say is that here in District 31, people have concerns about voter ID laws, but I don't think people really grasp um, the impact of voter ID laws as they're currently going, right? What we saw in North Dakota in the last week and a half was an atrocity, right, on voters' rights. Voter ID laws, I can see them being um, attractive to some. But when we have agencies that are supposed to supply people with those IDs, right, that aren't um, open during equitable business hours for a working class citizen, we're finding that voter ID laws actually disenfranchise our populace more than they protect our democracy. Because you'll see voter fraud statistics and studies have shown over and over that voter fraud, right, by individuals like you and I in our country is, is minimal. So are we saying we have to buy these IDs, right, at a cost to limit who can purchase them? Because those within the poverty trap, those within rural communities such as my own, where the DMV is only open one day a month, right, one day a month, these laws are being imposed to disenfranchise. It is a slippery slope, and we must make sure that as we move forward, we have secure footing in the direction that we head. And I would, if elected to office, fight the voter ID laws that are being imposed upon that we're seeing in, like I said, North Dakota, Georgia, and the current direction we're heading here in Wisconsin. Um, I haven't heard too many concerned citizens about voter ID laws necessarily. What people are telling me going door to door is that they cannot stand the political environment that has come about. You know, they describe themselves as staunch Republicans or staunch Democrats, but they have no one to vote for. And so that's when I come forward and say, you have a third option in our district for the first time in gosh knows how long. So what better time than now, right? What better time than now to step outside of our behavior patterns of the two-party system and vote for a more greener, a more equitable future? So uh, Matthew writes in with a challenging comment. He says, sorry, Greens, but this election is way too important. Blue wave. What would you say to Matthew and people who think like him? Extremism is not sustainable. Right? So when we look at extremism, the pendulum swings from one end to the other. And as that pendulum swings, physics make that pendulum harder to stop. Right? And then that brings chaos. There's no balance. There's no centered being. And I think when we talk about a blue wave, we really have to think about what water actually looks like. Is water blue? Or does water reflect every spectrum of color on our planet? Right? 
we really have to think about the words that we use and buying into them and allowing mob mentality to take hold. Our Federalist Papers remind us that polarized factions of government will destroy us. They're the biggest threat to our democracy. Yet that is what we've allowed to take hold in our political environment for the last six to five decades at least. So when we talk about a blue wave coming, somebody tell me what that blue wave has done for people of color, for marginalized populations, for the greater commons, right? In decades past. And then maybe you'd have an argument. But until then, until the blue wave's words are aligning with their actions, it's just going to be the same thing. So really, if you want to participate in a healthier democratic republic, we have to vote beyond party lines and realize that we are more than a two-party system and we deserve more than a two-party system because that binary pendulum that keeps swinging back and forth, all that's doing is making us fight one another like crazy. And people might call it tribalism. And I'd say, let's step back from that word tribalism a bit, right? That might be a microaggression in itself. Because as far as I know, the tribal nations that I work with, that I am a part of, act very civilly with the government, right? The U.S. government. And that was proven in 2016. And proven time and time again when our treaty rights are just run over. But we still come to the table cordial. So maybe instead of calling this problem that we have tribalistic, right? Maybe we should start saying that our political system is inequitable. So what kind of structural changes in power do we need to hold powerful men who abuse women like Kavanaugh uh, accountable? (laughs) Can you repeat that for me one more time? Yes. So what kind of structural changes uh, and power dynamics could we have to hold uh, men who wield power and abuse women accountable? Well, I think we should utilize our Constitution first and foremost, right? There are clauses within our Constitution that mandate that they, our elected officials act in a way that is responsible. There are clauses that we can take part in. If our elected officials want to, can bring forward motions and bring about accountability. But nobody has. Everybody says we don't have enough. We don't have enough proof this way or that way. Well, when it comes down to it, silence is violence. Okay? So if if we look at it, nobody's using the tools that we currently have at the table to bring about some sort of justice with these issues of gender-based violence. So if there is nothing in our system that people are willing to use, then we have to use our our voices. And if um, people are brave enough to do so, we'll be able to interact with our government in a way that utilizes our First Amendment right and solidifies it. Right now, people are afraid to go out in the streets. Our governments are looking at making public protests illegal. What I would say is use your rights right now, tomorrow, today, tonight, while we still have them. Because as it stands in this moment, there are no free speech zones yet. And we must utilize our free speech while we still have it. 
And you know what? It's not policy. It's not the politicians that are going to bring about change um, that's needed, like we see with Kavanaugh or 45. It is the people, because when we realize what the government is, right, the Bull Moose Party taught us this, the government is ourselves. And so we need to take our power back. So you're getting a lot of uh, positive comments. So Joey says, go for it, Aaron. Uh, Pete says, down with the two-party corporate fascist parties. Yes. And Terrence uh, writes in to ask, so what can we do to help you, Aaron, uh, at this late stage? Well, there's a few things you can do to help. Number one, write into news outlets. Let them know that there's an indigenous woman running in state Senate District 31, right? Because that's big news. And for some reason here in Wisconsin, they've ignored our indigenous candidates. And there's a couple of us. The other thing to talk about doing is also (sighs) paying attention to the forums that take place. I don't know if any of you have had the opportunity to take a look at the forum that um, on October 16th was held in Trempolo County. But in our closing statements, I want people to know this. The people I am running against, um, specifically the Republican Party, has openly said in his closing statement that it's not black lives that matter. He only um, supports a binary gender identity um, ideal. And it's dangerous. People need to understand that here in Western Wisconsin, we have a lot to lose. We are just as diverse as any other population because, again, we have urban and rural communities. But we have people here running for office that do not understand intersectional struggles of minority populations. They do not understand federal law like ICWA, right, the Indian Child Welfare Act. And as we saw in the last week and a half, two weeks in Texas, ICWA was overturned. And for indigenous people everywhere, that is a violation of our sovereignty. And in Wisconsin, in years past, they've they've taken ICWA a step further and implemented Wisconsin Indian Child Welfare Act, right? What is going to happen now that ICWA is overturned to the Native children in our in our state? And if people don't know in District 31, we have a tribal nation within our district. It's Ho-Chunk Nation, right? Those children need a zealous advocate in the people's house just as much as any other child. And I've grown up in Wisconsin. As I said, I'm a daughter of Wisconsin. I've gone through the public education system. I've lived in dominant culture. I didn't grow up on a reservation. And we really need to look at the rights that are getting stripped away from us. And the other two candidates don't seem to be that concerned. I'm the only one bringing up these intersectional issues about the needs of our our communities of varying abilities. I was going to say, if the Greens want to help, they have to push that narrative, right? Control the narrative. However, you can do that. If that's the power of your pen, if it's the power of your keyboard, or if that's the power of your phone, right? Calling your friends and family here in Wisconsin and letting them know that I'm here. I'm on the ballot and I'm willing to fight for everyone in Madison. Have you been able to get any traction with the media on any particular issues or uh, in certain regions in your district? So uh, we had some difficulties. I'm not going to lie at the beginning. 
and I reached out to some fellow Greens for some advice, um, some fellow Indigenous advocates and allies, and they, they gave me some pointers. And so I followed their advice. I reached out to the local media. And I didn't get much of a, a response at first, right? But then as other people, as I asked, reached out to the newspapers, you started seeing a different approach to their um, relaying of the news. And it wasn't until this last uh, bit of October that the leader telegram, which is a newspaper out of Eau Claire, started mentioning my name. And it was because I was invited to forums. And so what I was able to do through utilizing the, the platform of the forums is, is ensure that I wasn't avoidable on people's radar. I was sitting right next to my, my counterparts running for office. I couldn't be ignored. Right. And so once that happened, um, I believe the latest article on the 24th um, said that three candidates are vying for Senate District 31. And that is a huge accomplishment. And I couldn't have done that without all of the Greens that may or may not be watching at this moment and fellow community members who understand how important it is to challenge the duopoly right now in this moment. Aaron, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We've come to the end of the half hour. I do want to give you an opportunity for any final thoughts. Well, I would just say that our two-party system seems to be tired of fighting for the people. They seem to be more interested in supporting corporate interests than the well-beings of our children. For the health of our communities, we must challenge this duopoly in the fall. People are right. This is an important election. But what better time than now to choose a different path, to choose a healthier path and a more equitable path. And now that you know a little bit about who I am, anybody who is in Wisconsin Senate District 31, I humbly ask for your vote November 6th as we all converge for system change at the ballot box. And again, remember, gather your courage, right? Gather your courage and vote for a better future, for a greener future, because there is no better time than right now. Aaron Camacho, thank you for joining us here on A Green Way Forward. I'd also like to thank executive producer Michael O'Neill, who does this work every week as an unpaid volunteer. It's especially worth noting that he is managing Howie Hawkins' campaign for governor in the state of New York. Uh, so his uh his workload is high, and I want to thank you, Michael, uh, for continuing to executive produce this weekly program in addition to everything else that you're doing. Uh, I want to thank you, the viewer listener. We continue to build an audience, and I want to encourage you all to join us next week where we'll have Gloria Matera, uh, co-chair of the Green Party of the United States, on. We'll be talking about the particular candidates to watch, the ones that she is most excited about. We'll be talking about the races that can retain or earn ballot access for the Green Party. Uh, and of course, we'll always be, as always, be taking your comments, calls, and questions as well. I want to thank everybody for what you're doing. Keep on keeping on. Peace. A Greenway Forward is produced by David Cobb and Michael O'Neill. Go to agreenwayforward.org for links to our podcast feed and iTunes subscription 
plus more ways to listen. Our live stream is graciously hosted by the official Dr. Jill Stein Facebook page on Monday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The music for this episode is Keep Sit Real by Player 2, available under a Creative Commons license from the Free Music Archive. <laughs>